I am so excited about today, not just what God's going to do in here and as you are tracking with us uh, online or live or stream right now, but also the baptism afterwards. Baptism is a huge deal. And I say all the time that only God can do God things. God is working in our midst. I hope you can see that. He is growing us. There is momentum. He is moving. He is calling people. There are people who are far from God who are coming toward him for salvation. I can't preach good enough to do that. Our band isn't good enough to play that well. God is moving in our midst and calling people to salvation and to baptism. And some of the people that we have a good number of people getting baptized today, you're going to see some, some amazing representations of stories and people um, decades or even just a few years or moments they've been saved and known Jesus. And I want to just reiterate, if you're here or you're listening along and you want to be baptized or you don't know you might want to be baptized, you were baptized as a kid or maybe another time you wanted to rededicate, here's the deal. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died and rose again and he is your Lord, then you are a candidate for baptism. And we would love to, 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 uh, to be able to, to take you there today and dunk you. If you need a spare shirt, we got that for you. Bring some spare clothes if you can get them. Show up and see what God does. And also, if you're not getting baptized, show up to see God's move in our midst. Two of the people there getting baptized today, I met them in a bar a couple months ago. And, uh, and we, had, we had a good conversation. Another guy, it was, I was at a party and... Um, I had never met this gentleman before, and I said, hey, we're going to have baptisms in a couple weeks, and he got chill bumps. He said, I just told my family last night I want to get baptized, but I don't know where. So we, we met, and his whole family's here today. They'll be there for the baptism, all these people that God is just drawing in. So be a part of this celebration if you can. And now it's time. We get, let's, let's go back to our, our summer series. We're on week two of our summer series looking at the parables of Jesus. But the first question we have is, you know, what is a parable? Parable is not a word we use in our everyday jargon, is it? You're not at work and go, let me tell you a parable. No, a parable is something that's kind of this religious biblical word, but a parable is this. It's a simple story that holds divine deep truth. And Jesus, the master teacher, he uses these simple stories all throughout his teaching to tell about his father, to tell about his kingdom and what it's like, and to explain to people what it looks like to live for him. He uses these stories to communicate these vast truths. And parables are like treasures that are hidden. But they're not hidden from us. They're hidden for us to discover. Every parable is like a diamond with different facets. And every time you look in a different way, you're convicted at a whole different level. And today's parable is so powerful, I've split it into two parts. Part two, act two will be in uh, two weeks. Today is going to be a parable you've heard, many, many of you, many times. Do not let the familiarity wash over you. Engage in this to see what God has. And then in two weeks, we'll have part two of it, this lesser known little facet of the parable that is so convicting and so powerful. So today's parable is this, in Luke 15, the prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, tells us who's here listening. It says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, these are the priests, the religious elite, and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how Jesus has the nerve to, to eat with these sinners. And these sinners and these tax collectors who were frowned upon, they come to hear Jesus teach. And so we have church folk and non-church folk here, here to hear these words of Jesus. And he's about to unveil this parable, this simple story that has something for each of them. And it's going to hit each of them. And so as it hit each of them there in that Middle Eastern hot soil, today the parable has the power to touch each of your hearts and speak to each of you. Now, he says this. 
Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my inheritance. Now, right away when the crowd heard this, they would have been shocked, muttering amongst themselves. The son asked for his inheritance. And you only truly get inheritance when? When someone has died. So the son is like, hey, pops, you're still alive. You're standing right here, but I want my inheritance. What he's saying is, you're dead to me, dad, but I do want your money. What he's saying to the father is, I'm more interested in what you can do for me than who you are. And remember, Jesus says this is, he's talking about his father here. How many of us have a relationship where we're more interested in what God can do for us than having actually a relationship with him? That's what this younger son asked for. I want what you can do for me, but not who you are to me. And this would have shocked the listeners because in this ancient culture, if a son asked his father, the father would have every right upon this request to kick the son out of the house, exile him. The son might want the father dead, but in reality, a son who asked this in this culture would become dead to the father and the family and the village. He would have been exiled and the son would have soon found himself probably in a far off place with no money and no way to support himself. If the father had acted culturally how fathers were supposed to, this son would have probably ended up destitute, perhaps fighting pigs for food in some far off land. But here in Jesus' story, the father doesn't respond like that. He doesn't disown his son. In fact, the father who's heartbroken, he grants his son the wish. It says, so he, the father, divided his property between them. He has to sell off a portion of his land, his farm, for the younger son. Back in those days, the elder brother, the eldest son who's in this story later, he would get two-thirds of all the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third. So the father had to actually sell off his property, sell it off, let people go to give the son the money. The word used here for property is the word bios. We get the word biology from it. Bios, it means life. What it means is he's selling off his livelihood. He's selling off part of his life to give to his son. This isn't just a cash transfer. He is getting rid of, uh, I mean, selling one third of his property, of his whole life, to give it to this entitled boy. This would cost the family greatly. Shamed the family. And what is the son? The son who wants this dad's wealth, what does he do once he gets it? Well, he does exactly what you would think he would do. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, which by this point is a lot. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. A distant country. First of all, this phrase, for those listening there in the first century, um, this would have clearly meant that the kid took his dad's cash and went to a non-Hebrew, a far-off distant land. They would have thought of that land as unclean. That's a place you don't go. A good God-fearing religious boy like the older brother, he would never go to a distant, unclean place. But here we have this young boy going to this distant place. And not only that, he says he's squandering his wealth in, quote, wild living. Now, it might be two words, wild living, but you can fit a lot into there. You can assume a lot of things. He went to the wrong city and did all the wrong stuff. Which sins did he commit? All of them. He probably denied himself nothing is what this wild living kind of means. I mean, in our culture, if, if, if you take an 18-year-old um, and he takes all his inheritance, he goes to a hotel in Las Vegas, that's kind of what it looks like. He, I'm, in a, I'm in the penthouse suite and I'm going to do some wild living. I mean, here, if you tell me that you're going to take your inheritance and go to Meeker, I'm not too worried about you. 
But if you tell me I'm taking everything daddy gave me and I'm going, I'm getting the penthouse suite, I'm going to be living in Vegas, baby. Vegas. Well, I know. You're going to see and do some things your mom doesn't know are real or exist. You know? That's what distant land and wild living mean. He's going to go do all the things. So what happens, though? He goes off and he does this. And what happens is the next verse says, after he had spent everything, okay? He spends it all. I mean, you can imagine this younger brother there in the club, popping Dom, making it rain, doing all the things, all the friends around him. Just He has all these Klingons that love the money and love the party, but it dries up. It dries up. It goes away. His whole entourage leaves, leaves him. And not just the money dries up. Even further, we read in the verse, something else happening happens. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So not just did he dry up, but the economy, the soil, everything did. Now, the listeners, when they are hearing this in that century, they're hearing this tale of this younger son who says, Dad, you're dead to me, takes the money, goes to a far-off place, and does far-out things. And then, now they're all shaking their heads. I mean, the religious leaders and the prostitutes of Jesus' day didn't have much in common. But right here in this story, they can turn to each other and go, oh, this boy's about to get what's coming to him. They can agree on one thing. This kid's gone too far. So the son went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, at this sentence right here, the prostitutes and the priests audibly gasp. <gasps> Even those who were really good at sinning would have clutched their pearls and said, oh no, he didn't. Because here we have in their culture, it's harder to go any lower than what Jesus has just described. He, he told his father, he's dead to him. He went off to a far off place and did all the sins. And now he's out of money. He's, in a, he's working for a non-Hebrew, someone who in their culture would be unclean. And what is he doing? He's feeding pigs. Which according to the Old Testament and everything they knew, they were supposed to avoid at all costs. And he's not just sitting there near the pigs. He's feeding the pigs and he's longing for what the pigs are eating. He has pig on him. Everyone in earshot of Jesus' story, this parable, is offended at this kid is offended at his actions and how far he's fallen. This boy has now done everything possible to ensure that there is no way anybody would want anything further to do with him. It's not as if the tax collectors are sitting there listening going, well, he still has kind of a chance if he would only... No, 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 there's nothing. He has fallen so far. This is culturally and spiritually in their culture. It is catastrophic. The son has lost all hope of redemption, completely in ruined, completely unclean and lost. I mean, you don't come back from something like this. Jesus is painting this picture on purpose to show just how far this kid has gone. And in Luke 15, verse 17, it says that the boy comes to rock bottom and has an epiphany. He says, when he came to his senses, he's there in the pig pen. He's there in the sin at the bottom. He comes to his senses. And I love this verse. I love those words right there, those six words. Have you ever had a moment like this? You ever look in the mirror and not recognize the person staring back at you? You ever get in a pig pen of life and get involved in it so deeply and so long that, that you don't recognize and at some moment you have a, a moment where you, you see clearly, you come to your senses and you realize the decisions you're making are leading you into a place, into a person that you don't want to be. 
And perhaps you're already down that road and you've already become somebody. And it's too late. It's too far. I've gone, I've gone too long. Wandered too far. We have a moment of clarity where we see ourselves and our actions for what they truly are. We see where life is taking us. Life has led us to the pig pen, so to speak. It says the son came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. This son is in a dead-end job with very little hope in the famine and with his finances to ever recuperate, ever get back anything. But he remembers that even his father's servants have food. Now, who is he thinking of? He's thinking of people who used to serve him, who used to do whatever he wanted. He's thinking of the people who were invisible to him for his entire youth. He probably didn't think much of them at all. And now he realizes and remembers even they had food to spare. They're living better than I'm living now. At least they have food. At least they have, they have some hope. And, and maybe I could go be a servant in my dad's house. Maybe I could go, could go live there and I could just not, not, not be a son, but be, be like the hired hand and I could, I, I could work. And if I work long enough for my entire life, I could begin to pay my dad back. Yeah, that's what I'll do. So he comes up with this plan. He, he hatches this pig pin plan. He might have had one of these at one point at the very bottom, like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make it all right. He goes, here's what he says. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He isn't worthy to be a son and he knows it. He's going back empty-handed, in rags, smelling like swine. He's lost everything his dad gave him. But if he were a hired hand, oh, maybe I could begin to work. I could begin to pay my dad back and at least try to make, make something right of it. He figures out that some penance, maybe something he can do, will, will begin to help with all that he's lost. We love penance. We love paying back when we've done wrong. So, so we're just like this. You see, we have a hard time believing that God's grace and forgiveness are truly free. Now, we know that, yes, Jesus loved me. The Bible tells me so. And we can recite those things in our head. But so often in our heart, in our behavior, we have such a hard time believing that God's grace, God's forgiveness, is a free gift. A free gift. When we've been away from God and consider coming back to him, when we've been in some pig pens and we think about coming back or coming to God for the first time, we have these same type of plans that we come up with. All right, all right. I'll go to church. I might even give some money in there. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna go, to, go to church, like really go. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna help out and I'm gonna do something. I'm, I'm not gonna do that stuff anymore. I'm gonna be a good person. I'm gonna help people across the street. I'm gonna do this, okay? You know, some religions even play into this and they give people penance to help pay for their sin. Like, like you're right. Here, do this. It'll help you be right with God. Now, the son is in the pig pen. He comes up with this pig pen plan for return to skulk back to dad and be a servant. It says, so he got up and went to his father. Now, can you imagine? I want you to put yourself in this kid, in his place. Can you imagine this walk home? He walked this same road maybe a year ago, but he was dressed a whole lot differently. Man, he had some good clothes. He had a spring in his step. He had a, a fat wallet and he had big dreams. And now he's going back with, with pig pin on him. Nothing else on his back. Nothing in his pocket. Nothing in his heart but regret and a hope he can pay penance to get back to be a servant. 
I bet he replayed the last conversation that he'd had with his dad over and over on this road. I bet he just thought about how he sat there in front of his dad and said, dad, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. And he saw the, the hurt in his dad's eye. He saw his dad recoil. He probably thought of that you know, the whole way back and knew, he, I don't deserve my dad's grace. But he had nowhere else to go. He rehearsed that speech, I bet, a thousand times on those many days walk home. Maybe father will let me be a servant. I can, I can pay him back. I can, be a, I can be a hired hand. So finally, the boy gets to the edge of the property. He's the, the familiar road. The, the house of his father is down there. And it says in verse 20, but while he, the boy, was still a long way off, the father saw him. This tells us something about the father. And Jesus says the father is our father. This, Jesus is telling us about the nature of God. What does this say? Well, what we know is that many, many, maybe a year ago, the father had watched his boy leave on that very road. He had watched his son walk away. And here Jesus is telling us that the father is sitting here watching that same path. Because while he's a long way off, the father sees him. Did you ever wonder what the father's watching for? Now remember, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna reveal you the truth of my father, his nature. So what is God watching for? Why is God watching the path? Because he wants to see his boy, his lost son. And who knows how long he's watched there from that last time he saw him walk away. He sat there at the road watching in the afternoon, hoping that, that his, his son would return. This is the nature of our God. This is the nature of your father, that no matter how far you go, he's watching for your return. And this little nugget tells us something about his heart. Perhaps every day since that boy had gone, the father had gone out, sat in his chair, and he sipped some coffee and watched the road. He hadn't given up on his son. He didn't despise his son, though his son despised so much about who he was. This is the daddy who misses his boy. And no matter what his boy has done, the daddy loves him. Think of the nerves that this boy is experiencing because he doesn't know this. He doesn't know any of this. He's on that last hill headed down toward the estate. And think of what the son expects. He expects that he'll run into the servants. Or worse, he, he maybe expects the servants will tell his older brother. And his older brother has every right to come out there and kick him off the property or kill him. But instead he sees his dad. And he's expecting, oh no. And like they, he sees him down there. And he expects to see his dad fold his arms, furrow his brow and look down. He expects to see his dad look and recognize him, turn his, turn his body and walk inside. Communicating, son, you, you think I'm dead to you? Guess who's dead? You're dead to me. You've gone too far. You did too much. Which leads me to an important question. What do you believe God's face looks like when he thinks of you? What do you think the face of the Father looks like when he sees you at the end of the road? What do you think the face of God looks like when he sees you in your pig pen? See, based on the stuff that you've done or based on the stuff that's been done to you in the past and based on your lack of faith and your questioning, based on the way you're living, do you believe that God has his arms crossed waiting for you? Brow furled in disapproval? Just waiting. 
for you to come there? And you get up there and he goes, well, man, you got some nerve. Those are some filthy rags you got on. You've been doing some bad stuff, haven't you? I told you. I told you it'd be terrible if you left here. But you wouldn't listen. No, no. How about this? Go get cleaned up. Do good for yourself. Pay some penance. Make it right. And maybe I'll talk to you in the future. See, that's what many of us have come to believe about God based on our past experience with maybe religion or, or whatever. But also as humans, we want to pay something. But we, res- we expect God to, 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 to respond like that. What do you think God's face looks like when he looks at you in your pig pen, when he sees you walking back? What do you expect to see? See, what do you think the son expected? He did not expect what he's about to experience. Because back to the story, the son crests that hill. The father sees, the father looks up the long path and the father sees the silhouette of the boy. Now, now the father knows how this boy walks. This father, he's known, his, he's known his boy his whole life. He watched this boy take his first steps. He knows how his son walks. Yeah, he's a little more bent over. Yeah, he looks a little more skulky than he did, but I know that's my boy. I know that. The sinful son looks down the road to the far end and sees his father there on the deck. The son knows it's his father. He sees him sitting there, looking up the path. The boy sees his father and sees his father see him. This is the moment of truth. You can imagine this son's heart. He has his speech, he has his rags, and he's got nothing else. What is dad gonna do? What is dad gonna do? The son, hoping to be a slave, hoping to be a servant, brushes off his speech, gets ready. They both stand there frozen in time as their eyes locked. And then, to the boy's absolute horror, he sees his father get off the deck and start running toward him. Oh, no. Dad's more angry than I thought. He doesn't even want me to get on the property. And the father begins to run toward the son. Some of you may know this, but, but you have to catch this. Culturally, Hebrew patriarchs do not run. They just don't. They have these long robes. The father would have to pick up his robes and flash his untanned legs as he sprinted <laughs> toward a boy. Hebrew patriarchs in this culture do not run. They definitely don't run. And if they did, do you know who they don't run toward? Sinful sons who declared you dead to them. They don't run to those kids. Honor would require in this culture that the kid come before the father, supplicate himself. For the father to run toward the son would have been even more dishonor. Justice requires that boy to come back. Explain it. The father sprints toward the boy before the kid can even get a word out. I mean, the father doesn't even know why he's back. He could be back to ask for more money. Who knows? He doesn't care. He begins to run. Now, the crowd listening to Jesus would have been absolutely shocked at this, confused. Like, they know how these stories should go. The story should go much differently than this. They're shocked. The story is about God's heart, about God's kingdom. And it's taken a very strange turn as Jesus does this. The father was humiliated when his son took his inheritance and left. And the father seems to be willing to humiliate himself even more when the sinful son comes back. All the human rules of propriety are out the window here. And there's one reason why. 
what's happening here is solely based on the heart of the father. That's what made him run. That's what got him off that porch and down that path. Now the sinful son, he doesn't know his father's heart. He doesn't know his father's intentions. The father's bearing down on him. That's all he knows. The boy's stomach turns. Oh, great. My dad's running toward me. He's gonna meet me here and tell me what I'm worth. And he's right. The father is gonna meet him there and tell him what he's worth. What do, you, what do you imagine when you see God's face looking like? What do you imagine God's face looking like when, when you've done everything wrong, when you've gone back to your pig pen? And maybe you are not like the sinful son who's like gone off and just done everything wrong, but maybe you have like a nice little private, hidden, secret pig pen that you like to go roll around in, in your own life. And what do you, what do you think God's face looks like when we come from those moments? The boy watches as his father gets closer and it's at this point that the father's face begins to get clearer. He doesn't see anger. He doesn't see a frown. He begins to see tears and a smile. And before the boy can even connect the dots of what's happening, the father tackles him off his feet, hugs him and begins to kiss him. It says in verse 20, while the son was a long way off, the father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The statement here about the father being filled with compassion is the Greek word. It sounds like this, splach needs am I. Everybody say that, splach needs am I. One more time. Splach needs am I. Excellent. We need, we need a little splach needs am I in our, in our lives and right here, the word splach needs in my means to be moved in the deepest part of who you are. And it's used here by Jesus on purpose to show the nature of God who is splach needs in my, who is moved in the deepest parts of his heart to run to his boy. I shouldn't run, I don't care. He, he's so sinful, I don't care. That's my boy. He was moved deeply within when he sees his child. He's moved in such a way he couldn't wait a moment longer. He's not gonna wait there on the deck. No, no, this is his son who was dead who is now coming back. This is the heart of the God. This is the heart of God who created you. This is the heart of your father. Jesus is telling us something. This is our God. He is deeply moved anytime his son or his daughters return. So, so now the son is being wept over by his dad and kissed by his dad, and, but he has this speech, right? And we all have our speech, you know? We all have our thing we're gonna say, but the son has it, and you know, he's gonna be a servant and pay off the debt, all that stuff. He, he falters for a second, but composes himself, and in verse 21, he recites it <clears throat> almost word for word as he did before. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, he doesn't even get through it all the way. There's more to it about being hired hand and a servant. Um, I don't know if the father doesn't hear it or just doesn't care because he cuts him off with, with his own words. I mean, think of this. You, you come back to God or maybe perhaps you come to God for the first time and you have your little thing prepared, something that sounds contrite and religious, you know, and, and we ought, it should sound religious. Like it should impress God. Like, Father God, I need more sanctification and redemption and justification. And all the shuns. Like we, like we add that stuff in there on our return, hoping that God goes, man, this guy's really serious this time. He just used the word sanctification. Um, we all have our speeches that we think we're going to come home and, and tell God these things. God cuts him off. 
The father just cuts him off. He says this. He yells, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And these three things have deeply symbolic meanings. You see, slaves and servants didn't wear uh, sandals. They were barefoot, but not sons. The father's saying, no, son. You won't be a servant in my house. The ring, the ring is the signet ring of the family that declares ownership and authority in the household. Only the father and his sons would wear the ring. Let there be no question whose this boy is. He's mine. And he says, bring the best robe. There's a double emphasis in the Greek that translates better. Bring me that best robe. He's talking to the servants and says, bring me that best robe. <laughs> he's, he's talking about a robe, a certain robe, not just any robe. Bring me that best robe. You know what robe he's talking about? There's only one best robe in the house. It's the robe of the father. Bring me my robe and cover my son's sin, my son's dirty rags with my royal garments. He is mine. Listen, Jesus is being clear here. If you come to God, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you, what sin you've committed, how far you've gone, how long you've gone, how weak your faith, how much you've questioned, how much you've doubt, whatever it was. If you've ever come to church, if, you, if you've been hurt by a church, if you badmouth God, it, none of it matters. What he's saying is when you come to the Father, he covers you. And he covers all that. Oftentimes when we come to God with our sin, we know we aren't clean, right? Like I smell like pig pen. Here I am. I'm back. Now the boy knows how unclean he is inside and out. He's sinned up there with the best of us. He squandered everything. He slopped with the pigs. He hasn't showered or anything. He smells terrible. He looks terrible. He's completely unclean. He comes to the father in that condition. In that condition, he comes to the father. And catch this. The father puts his robes over the rags of the son. The father didn't say, go clean up a little bit and then get back to me. Like when it comes to baptism, it's not like go take a shower to then get a bath. Like it's, it's it, go get your life together. Go. This is what we believe though. I'm gonna get a little cleaned up and then go back to God when I'm a little, little less swiney, you know? No, no, but what we see here is that, that God covers us with his righteousness, his robes, his greatness, no matter what we have on us. God does not need you to clean up your act to receive his forgiveness and grace. God does not need you to get everything right and then come to him. He just wants you to come to him. It doesn't matter how filthy you may believe your life is. It doesn't matter how weak your faith is. It doesn't matter how wrecked your past is. It doesn't matter how broken your present is. It doesn't matter how long you've ignored him or how far you've wandered. He puts his faultless, sinless nature over our sin, covering it. The robe of royalty over the rags of sin. The offer of God is this, this redemption, that you don't need to clean up to come to God. You come to God and you let him do his beautiful work. You come to God at whatever condition you're in. This is amazing. I mean, the boys, this boy's best plan was to go back and be a servant, to pay some penance, but to the Father, to God's heart as Jesus reveals it, that wasn't even a possibility. 
In God's kingdom, you don't come back as a servant. You don't skulk around in his presence and work your way off. You're a busboy in heaven just to pay off all the sin you've done. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter. And he sent his son Jesus. He loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that his grace is free. You are loved and beloved to him. In God's kingdom, you're a son despite the do's and do nots you've broken. In God's kingdom, you're a daughter despite your wandering away. The father says, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. The father calls a party. The ancient word here for alive again that, the father uses, that Jesus uses for the father is anadzeo. Anadzeo. And this means to be revived from the dead, but not just like kind of, to be f- restored to full life, to be completely revived in all ways, to a new life, to a full life. And this is the anadzeo is, is the greatest offer of God. You see, we have got it wrong that God's greatest offer is someday, someday we get to go to heaven and sing hymns forever. That's like, you know, oof. that's what we think is the greatest offer of God, but the greatest offer of God isn't just what he's gonna do someday, but it's that he gives us full and true life here today. The offer of God is this. He wants to give you forgiveness in your past. He wants to give you peace in your present and hope for your future. And not just someday in heaven, but like tomorrow. That God is at work in your life to make your tomorrow. You will be in him what you were not today. This is the amazing offer of God, a full life. So what about you? If you're far from God because of what you've done, if you have some pig pins in your life, he calls you home. Some of you are scared to come back to God because you know you got some penance to pay. You gotta make some things right. I just wanna tell you, I don't find that anywhere in in the gospels. Jesus is speaking about his father and how the kingdom works And you can see there's no penance. Do you know why? Because what they don't know when they're listening there to Jesus is that Jesus is the one who paid all the penance. Jesus paid all the cost so that when you come back to God, you don't pay anything. He paid it on a cross for you. And here's the other thing. When we, all, when, we, when we hear this story of the prodigal son, there's always some of us who go, man, this is really good for those people. I really want to send this to some people who are really good sinners. But I just want to like, just, just for a second. We all have some pigsty in our life. We all have some pig pen maybe in some private places. We all have some places that we come out of there ashamed. We all need God's grace. We all need to remember that he has, he has a clear pathway to him. So, so whether you're a notorious sinner like one of the people listening there or you're one of the religious people who like, you know, you do it pretty good. I just want to remind us, we all need the grace of God. We all have pig pen somewhere in our lives. We, judge not, we, we don't judge ourselves based on someone else. Let's not do that. That's Pharisee talk. And in two weeks, we're gonna go to act two of this. Oh, and it's gonna be so convicting for, for me, for all of us. It's the untold story of the, rest of, the, of the rest of this. But for now, we see a God who calls people home, throws a, throws a party, puts his, his, his cleanliness over them. What does this mean? I just want to be very direct. Prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, it's time to come home. 
God has made a clear path for you. It might be your parents' faith. It might be your parents' thing. You might be listening to this online or live stream or later, and you, this is, it's time, time to come home not to your parents' faith, but time to come home to your Father in heaven who has something for you, who calls you to his kingdom. So if you're a prodigal and somewhere out there and you have wandered, know that God's calling you home. If you're in here and, and you're someone who has, you have some pig pen in your private world, God's calling you out of that to clean you off, to redeem you, to say, this is my boy, this is my girl, fully restored, redeemed, forgiven, and they can stand and worship as a son and daughter in the house without any shame because you are cleansed. So as we go into this song, it's called Come to the Altar, and we, we are allowed to come close to God's altar because Jesus made a way. So for those of you here today, if you want to pray, if you need extra prayer for something you've been in, or if you want a prayer for salvation, I'll be right up here with my wife. Uh, we'll have some elders in the back, and we'll have some elders right up here. Come ask one of us to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. Either re to receive Jesus, to come back from wandering, or that his, he would cleanse you. But let's, let's celebrate, because we have a clear road home to the Father who welcomes us. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's worship.